to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra in Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them the observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. I suppose that one of the most endearing or, or loved individual in any congregation, not just here because they, they're everywhere, is what is affectionately known as the candy lady. We have more than one of those here, and my family is, is thankful for those candy ladies, and um, sometimes... Uh, they probably get more candy than they really need, especially compounded with you know times of uh, you know, the end of October and things of that nature. But but regardless, we think about the, the relationship that is established there and and the name that's uh, is exchanged and, and you know each other's names and we've talked about how that's important with uh, name amnesty month and knowing one another's names and that's what a way that you can show each other love and and um, so as you think about that that there's there's gifts that are given within this congregation on a weekly basis. Also, as you think about the time of year that we're in and we're about to exchange gifts, our congregation, many of us have already exchanged many gifts and that's the time of year and the, the mindset that we have right now. I want us to think about five gifts that we can give to the children in our congregation beyond the physical things. It's not at all to take away from, from the, the good things that, that our candy ladies uh, are, are involved in and, and, uh, and that, that many of you are involved in by giving them uh, football cards and, and Pokemon cards and all those kinds of things. But as you think about it, I want us to think about some, some bigger gifts more, far more important gifts in the grand scheme of things in the long term, in the spiritual sense. First and foremost, I want us to think about giving the gift of godly example. The gift of godly example. By the way, we said about these, about these gifts, not just for those of us that have children uh, and giving them to our children at home and, and wherever we may be, but, but even for those of you in the congregation that don't have children, or your children are already grown, that these are gifts that you can give to all of the young people in our congregation. And it's not just the young people that sit up here in the front, but those of us that are just generally younger than you. There's, there's much that can be gained from these gifts. So the gift of godly example, first and foremost, just as a, as a refresher from this morning is what we talked about, model what you believe true success looks like. Model what you believe true success looks like. We talked about the fact that, that God delights in and enjoys and, and commends the fact that we understand and know him that he practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness, and that, that we would embody those same characteristics and qualities in our lives and just demonstrating to our young people what you truly believe true success looks like beyond the physical, beyond the financial gain of, those, of that nature. Model for them what you truly believe true success looks like. 
Because it's one thing for the parents to communicate those things to their children. It's another thing for those of us that we sometimes call the village that are all working to help our young people get to heaven. Certainly, modeling what you believe true success looks like goes a long way. It also looks like modeling that you believe God is worthy of worship. Modeling that you believe that God is worthy of worship. Psalm 95 and verse number six, the psalmist says, O come, let us bow down before the Lord our maker. Let us kneel before him. Is that the attitude with which you come to worship? And could that be seen? Could that be read between the lines by our young people about your attitude while you're here in the pews? It has been said by some that the health of a congregation can be observed or witnessed in two things. It can be seen in crying babies and singing men. Crying babies and singing men. The health of a congregation is seen in that there are young people that are bringing their children, young families that are bringing their children to worship. And the fact that there are crying babies within that assembly indicates a health within that body of individuals, but also the presence of singing men. We've talked about this before, but sometimes you look around the congregation and you see individuals that are not singing. It's not just men, but model for our young people that you believe that God is truly worthy of worship and adoration and praise by using and expressing with your lips that, that sacrifice to him. And in doing so, it will make an impression on our young people. Also model what treating others should look like. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 12, the golden rule. Show them what treating others really looks like. If, if, a, if a family were to go with you to a restaurant and they were to listen to you interact with a waiter or a waitress, and maybe when your food is, is messed up, your order was messed up or cooked wrong or however it may have been, is it modeled to our young people that you see that waiter or waitress as a human being with a soul? A soul that, that is made in the image of God. A soul that ultimately will stand before God in judgment one day. I, I heard Cody McCoy bring this up in class not too long ago. I thought it was a great idea. He, he said, when we interact with people within a, a restaurant, wherever it may be, when we leave that interaction, would we feel comfortable going and asking them for a Bible study? Or after having left that interaction, would we say, I don't think they will listen to a single thing that I've said. Do we model that for our young people? Do we model for them that we truly believe that souls are the most important thing and winning arguments and, and, and getting our order right is really not that important? Maybe we're at a basketball game when we're yelling near obscenities at a referee or an official, communicating to, to our, our children that it's okay to, to just really get close to that line, get close to that edge. Model for them what you truly believe treating others looks like. There was an image I saw recently of a, of a mother standing behind her daughter and her tongue went all the way out of, of her mouth down to her little daughter who was at her knee height and it came through the back of her head and out the front of her mouth and she was giving a tongue lashing to a, a classmate. The imagery was there that our young people can learn and understand and know how to talk to other people based upon the examples that they watch. And so give the gift of godly examples. I'm thankful for a congregation here that does that. I'm thankful for those of you that, that are, are such good examples to my children and to all of these young people sitting here at the front. But as you think about gifts that can be given this holiday season, 
certainly the gift of godly example is one of the first and foremost important ones that we could give. Consider secondly, the gift of grace. The gift of grace. As you think about the gift of grace, there's a number of ways that that, that we could practice this, but first and foremost, consider that it looks like giving them time to grow. Giving them time to grow. We think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when we sing, the, the kids sing song 1 Corinthians 13, love suffers long, or love is patient. Love is patient, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number four. It's been said that you cannot put a man's head on a boy's shoulders. You cannot put a man's head on a boy's shoulders and it takes time for our young people to grow. It doesn't necessarily excuse behavior or we can't necessarily overlook behavior, but it does remind us that we were all in their shoes at one point. One thing that we all share in common is that we were all children of someone. We all were children at one point. We all grew up to where we are now. And if we need to remind ourselves of that on a regular basis, that it looks like giving them time to grow. It looks like giving them the benefit of a doubt. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse number seven, love not only is patient, but love believes all things. Love believes all things. There's a number of ways we could give our children the benefit of a doubt when it comes to this. Just this morning as I was sitting next to my son and he was turned around looking the other direction and the, as, the memory, as, the, as the scripture reading was being read, he, he was, I didn't think he was paying any attention at all, but as soon as he heard those first few words being read, it was a, a memory verse that we've been working on at home, and he turned around and looked at me and started tapping me on the shoulder. Dad, Dad, that's our memory verse. The point is, sometimes we might see a child acting a certain way, and we might impugn a motive, or we might think that that's the way uh, that, that we know what's going on in their head, that they're not paying attention, when really they are, and they're just learning how to sit still and how to focus and how to pay attention and what decorum looks like and all those types of things. So giving them the gift of grace looks like giving them the benefit of a doubt. And then finally, it looks like suffering the wrong. First Corinthians chapter six and verse number seven, you recall that there was one brother that was taking another brother to law over a dispute. That was, he was suing him. He was taking him to court And Paul says to him, why are you taking this matter before those that are outside of the body of Christ and asking them to be your judge? Why not rather, he says, suffer the wrong? Why not rather suffer the wrong? Teenagers are very well known for giving some some very dirty looks to people at times. Maybe it has nothing to do with you, but maybe on their face, they might just have that, that resting face, as sometimes we call it, that just doesn't look to be all that happy. And maybe they don't have anything against you at all. Nothing that, that you have done or any interaction, any interaction that you've had with them has been negative. It's just hormones that time of life, you know? And so as you think about it, it looks like suffering the wrong. There may not have been anything meant by what was done by a teenager. I think back to when my youngest brother and I were playing on a go-kart that we had got a used go-kart, somebody had given us, and, and we're taking it all over the pasture, and we took it up to my granddad's house, and I let my brother drive, and he was about, I don't know, eight or nine years old at the time, which was probably my first mistake, and where did he end up taking it? But straight through my grandfather's white picket fence. And you know he was worried sick about going up there to knock on granddad's door. He walked up and he knocked on the door and sheepishly had to explain to granddad and granddad looked at him and he just busted out laughing. He said, it's not that big a deal. We can fix that fence. And you know what? You know what one of the memories were that my brother told at granddad's funeral? 
about that, that time that he ran into his fence and it wasn't a big deal. You have an opportunity to give the gift of grace to someone and it might last with them until, you're, until you go to the grave. That you are that kind of influence on them, that you had that type of attitude. Give the gift of godly example, give the gift of grace. Number three, give the gift of knowledge. The gift of knowledge. Teach their Bible classes, even the two-year-olds. And that's not just a self-serving comment given that I have a two-year-old right now. I know that sometimes it's hard to find two-year-old teachers because that is a challenging age, the terrible twos, that is. But even the two-year-olds, maybe the two-year-olds are not for you, but there's quite often the need for more teachers to give some of our regular teachers a break. And also, do you realize that you might have an opportunity to connect or communicate a a truth of God's word to one of our young people that someone else may not be able to because you maybe think a similar way as them and, and you can communicate something in a similar way that they can understand. And so teaching their Bible classes. But you know, in order to teach, you have to obviously know what you're teaching. And so if you want to give them the gift of knowledge, it first needs for us, there, there needs to be some study involved. There needs to be learning new things and growing. Hebrews chapter five, verse number 12, the Hebrews author says, at that time, you should have been teachers, but you were still in need of milk instead of having moved on to the meat of the word. And so if we're going to give the gift of knowledge to our young people, if we're gonna share with them the truths of God's word and the marvelous love and matchless love of Christ, we need to first dig into the text ourselves to learn and study and grow, to, to, to be able to move on from the milk of the word into the meat of the word so that when little Charlie is asking me on the front row this, this, this evening, what does it mean to be under the earth? You know, hopefully I gave the right answer there because it caught me off guard and I think that was right, but you know, I wasn't really prepared. And so learn new things by studying yourself. Think about this. Talk about spiritual things outside of class outside of worship, giving the gift of knowledge, not just knowledge about football statistics, not just knowledge about, uh, you know, how to, to quilt a, some sort of, uh, of blanket or whatever it may be, but giving the gift of knowledge by speaking about and talking about spiritual things. Certainly Deuteronomy chapter six and verse number seven, that, that, that with our children as parents, we are to speak with them about spiritual things when we rise up, when we go by the way, when we leave the house, wherever it may be, that we would do those things, but we'd ask you humbly as parents to do those same types of things with our children, that you would talk to them about struggles that you've had or victories that you've seen in your life, that, that God has blessed you in whatever area it may be. The gift of knowledge Similar to that, gift number four, the gift of answers. The gift of answers, you'd, you'd say, well, what's the difference here? And I want us to think about it from this perspective. Sometimes we can alienate children with, quote, that's just the way it is kind of answers. And I'm not suggesting that I have necessarily witnessed that here, but that has been in times past the case in other places that I've been, that, that the, the idea of, well, that's just the way it is, well, that's just the way we do it, just, just accept it and move on type of answers, sometimes that alienates our young people. We may need to think about why we do the things that we do. And certainly that's beyond just that. We think about doctrine, but also as we'll talk about here in a minute, the things that we might consider to be just tradition. You recall from Exodus chapter 12, verses 26 and 27, that at the Passover feast, when they be, began to practice that, it was told to the, the, the parents, the mothers and fathers that 
when your children ask about what does this service mean, that you might be able to tell them about the time that the Lord passed over and kept them alive when they were in Egypt. And that was the purpose of the Passover remembrance, the Passover feast. Joshua chapter four, verses 21 through 24, you recall that as the children of Israel finally crossed over the Jordan River, they built a, a pile of stones, an altar of stones, and it was, as was said in this section here, so that when their children asked, what do these stones mean? You could tell them about the time that God had delivered you across the Jordan. Give them the gift of answers, but as we said, explain certainly the doctrine. Explain the truth of God's word, but sometimes we also need to explain the traditions. And it's not necessarily that we need to have the attitude as younger people that you owe us an explanation about everything, about why we do it the way we do it, but sometimes it doesn't maybe click or make sense or we can't quite grasp it or, or wrap our minds around it. And so oftentimes I've, I've used this illustration over the years. When, when I go fishing on a riverbank, I'll take my tackle box and certainly you're gonna have hooks in the tackle box and you'll have weight in the tackle box and you'll have uh, uh, all kinds of bobbers and all those types of things for catfishing. But inside there is also my tackle box is a lantern mantle. A lantern mantle is this little uh, netting type of object that goes inside of the old school lanterns. Now we have battery powered things and we hardly use any type of fuel powered uh, or, or you know, propane or, or uh, white gas uh, type of, of, of lanterns, whatever it may be. But you'd use those mantle, lantern mantles in there and it would, that's what would actually be, uh, burn and, and, and burn bright for you to be able to see. Well, what does that have to do with fishing? Well. If you grew up with me, you'd know that most of the time when I would go with my granddad, that that's what he would do. He would put one of those in his tackle box because, well, we're fishing at night. On the surface, it doesn't make sense. Well, what does this have to do with fishing? But when you learn, well, here's why we put it here, because it's convenient, because we're fishing, and it's, we're already carrying that anyway, it just makes sense. So when we think about traditions, most often our traditions have a purpose, and they make sense. Just simply giving a, a reasonable answer for them should suffice. And we need to accept those things as young people and recognize that, that in times past, those decisions have been made for a certain reason. And we need to be careful not to, to buck the tradition, as it were, and to, to be disrespectful in regards to those things. On the flip side, we also, as again, older people need to think about maybe those traditions were established decades ago and they don't necessarily work in the time in which we live now. And so... The benefit of a doubt goes both ways. Giving the gift of grace goes both ways. And finally, as we close this evening, the gift of relationships. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter number 16. As you're turning there, the gift of relationships, I want you to think about the fact that there are studies that have shown that in order for young people, not in order for, but studies show that a large majority of the time, a young person that has had relationship with someone in the congregation, with at least seven different individuals in the congregation outside of their peer group, that if they have a meaningful relationship with at least seven individuals outside of their peer group within the congregation, that they are statistically more likely to remain faithful after they graduate, whether they move on to college or they, they go to the workforce, whatever it may be. Now again, that's just statistics and we know we can skew statistics and we can do anything we want with statistics, but it makes sense, doesn't it? We are the family of God. We think about giving the gift of relationships. It's said that, that oftentimes we need to be a Barnabas. We need to pursue a Paul and train a Timothy. 
Do you look at these young people here as, as an opportunity to have a relationship with them? Perhaps one of the greatest ways that you can start a relationship with them is by going to one of their extracurricular activities, one of their events, whether it be their band concert, whether it be a football game, whether it be whatever they like to do, being Reb Tevye and the sound of music, right? Whatever they're doing, go support them and show them that you love them and care for them. And, and in doing so, perhaps you have the opportunity to establish a relationship with them and develop a relationship that's like training a Timothy. But first, it's gotta start with personal preparation. This isn't just the big brother, big sister program. This isn't just helping someone feel good when they're maybe down. It's about helping them to learn to be more like Christ. It's about developing them spiritually. And so we need to personally prepare for that as well. First, you think about James chapter three and verse number one. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers for in doing so, we will receive the stricter judgment. So recognize that as you embark upon this journey, though a great one, it comes along with it some extra responsibility. So personal preparation, but then as you have turned to Acts chapter number 16, recall that in 1 Corinthians chapter four, verse number 17, Paul calls Timothy his beloved and faithful son in the faith. His beloved and faithful son in the faith, son in the Lord, he looked upon Timothy, as we'll see in Acts chapter 16, as someone that he, he looked at as, as a, a, an offspring of his in a spiritual sense. Acts chapter 16, verse number one, as our scripture reading read a moment ago, he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted to have him go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in the region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. You think about proxy parenthood, what we're not suggesting here is that you usurp the authority or the position of someone's parents in our youth group or, or in, our, in our kids sing program or whatever it may be, but rather that you'd be a supplement, that you would stand in in a way as a father or a mother in the faith. I think about my, my father, who, who's his dad, was a, an elder in the church, a spiritually sound individual, a mature individual, someone who you could look up to. But yet dad oftentimes called Norman Starling his father in the faith. His father in the faith. And dad and I were talking about it the other day and he wondered maybe if sometimes that maybe uh, hurt or stung granddad a little bit to hear dad speak of that. But, but we need to humble ourselves, and I think granddad was this way as parents, to recognize that there are things that, that other people in the congregation can do to help our children and to help them grow and to, to refine them and sharpen them in ways that we can't. And what we're doing as, as, as parents, at least I am, I, I think that most of our parents would, would come along with me and saying, we would love for you to do that with our children as well. And that already happens. I've seen it, I know it, and I recognize it, and we're thankful for that. But see what Paul does here. He, he notices, first and foremost, that, that Timothy perhaps has an absentee father. Maybe he was there, but at least absentee in the faith because his mother was uh, a Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. That, that word but seems to indicate, right, that, that his father maybe wasn't a, a Christian. But then you see that he showed an interest. He didn't just wait for Timothy to ask. 
Rather, Paul wanted to have him go on with him. He was desirous of this. He, he took an interest and saw Timothy in this opportunity to reach out to him. He observed some hurdles. He observed some difficulties or challenges that Timothy would face, knowing that he being a, of a Gentile descent was not circumcised, and he, he recognized that, among other things that Paul recognized about him, whether it was his youth when he said, let no man despise your youth to Timothy, whether it was his illness that he was dealing with and, and, and engaged him and, uh, and invited him to uh, take a little wine for his stomach's sake, whether it was that or his fear the beginning of one of his letters to Timothy, he says, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of, of power and of love and of a sound mind. And it seemed that maybe Timothy at times was, was a little bit shy or sheepish, and yet Paul sees those challenges and he encourages him. And then he gives him opportunities, verse number four. Notice that it says, as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep. It seems that Paul right away in Engages and involves Timothy in the work that he was involved in on his missionary journeys. So personal preparation, proxy parenthood, consider provoking conversations. We just mentioned a moment ago at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, that Paul sees something that Timothy was struggling with, and he takes him alongside, at least in his letter, and says, Timothy, you need to be strong and of good courage. You need to be somebody that doesn't shy away. You need to, to fan the flames within you by uh, the gift that was given to you by the laying on of hands. Sometimes this gift of relationships looks like not just uh, taking them fishing or, or giving them physical gifts, but sometimes that gift of relationship looks like saying to a young person that you have a relationship with already established, generally speaking, here's something you need to work on. Now again, our young people, those of us that are younger, we need to be humble that when an older person says to us, here's something you need to be working on, we need to listen and take that to heart. Now on the flip side of things, those of us that are older and trying to help a younger person by saying you need to work on this, if there's no established relationship there, typically it won't be heard. Not because they want to disrespect you, but it's hard to, as we oftentimes hear, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And whether that's true or not, and whether that should be a, a, a guiding force in how we interact with people or not, whether it's real or perceived, it matters. And so provoking conversations, it looks like partnering together. First Thessalonians chapter three and verse number two. 1 Corinthians chapter four, verse 17, and 1 Timothy chapter one, verses three and four. Paul, sent and entrusted Timothy with the responsibilities to the church at Thessalonica, to the church at Corinth, and in 1 Timothy chapter 1, his responsibility to the church at Ephesus. Paul didn't just continue on keeping Timothy alongside kind of as his, his uh, you know, carry boy, if you want to call it that, the one that's the, the ball boy or the water boy doing all the hard, heavy lifting while Paul does the preaching and the, the glory type of things, if he wanted to call it that. And Timothy's just there as his, as his de facto servant or something, but rather that instead, Paul entrusts Timothy with responsibility and they partner together. Now, for those of us that are younger, it requires that we be individuals that can be entrusted with responsibility. We've got to show that we have that maturity. And I think Timothy did, but Paul didn't just say, this is my job, I'm not going to include you in it. The gift of relationship looks like partnering together. And then finally, it looks like passing the torch. Passing the torch. Second Timothy chapter two and verse number two, Paul says to Timothy, these things that I've committed to you, 
These things that I've committed to you among many faithful witnesses, commit to others also that they may in turn commit those things and teach others. That's the beautiful picture of evangelism, of the snowball effect within the church. That if we will encourage and teach young people, maybe even young men to want to be involved in ministry, getting into preaching, whatever it may be, that they in turn will be able to teach others as well and maybe encourage someone else to get into preaching as well. That certainly was the case in my life. It wasn't just, believe it or not, my dad probably wasn't the number one influencer in my, my decision to becoming uh, a minister of the gospel but rather that was other ministers that took an interest in me and invested in me and, and encouraged me toward that. And so it may be you that does that for my son and not me. So think about that, passing the torch. But as we close, I want us to see 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Turn there with me, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I want us to see the relationship that Paul and Timothy had and aspire towards that aspire towards that as members of, of the, the congregation here at Katy, that we would have these types of relationships between those that are older and those that are younger. This great farewell address is sometimes it's called as, as Timothy is charged by Paul to therefore, he says, I charge you, verse one, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead and his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day and not only to me but also to all those who loved his appearing perhaps one of my favorite things in the world is to go to a funeral of someone who was an influential person spiritually in the lives of others because so often you see so many come and sit together in an auditorium like this to honor, to be thankful for someone who is a Paul in their life. And I think about, I don't know that Timothy was ever present for Paul's funeral, if you want to call it that. But I wonder if, if as Timothy was reading these words that Paul was writing to him as kind of near his deathbed, that as he's thinking about, was, was, were these the last words that Paul ever delivered to Timothy? Were these the last words that I'm ever going to receive from Paul, Timothy might have been thinking? And how encouraging that would have been to have that charge given and to say, I am thankful for all that Paul has done in my life. And these young people here, I promise you, at some point down the road, if you'll invest in their lives, and as I know it has taken place in my life, if you'll invest in their lives, that they're going to be thankful for what you've done because of the gift of relationship that you've given to them. Because you said, I want that person to be with me in heaven. I want them to also be able to say that I have finished the course, I have fought the good fight. And there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me in heaven. Don't you want that for them? I know you do. So let's get to work. Let's invest in them. Let's, let's be proxy parents, if you will. Not, not usurping, but, but supplementing. Taking a village, all of us as a congregation, to help our young people to grow 
so that we can extend the borders of the kingdom further while we're here on earth, but especially also we'll add to the voices of heaven. This evening, if you're not a Christian, if you put the Lord on in baptism, you become part of a wonderful, wonderful family, a family unlike any other on earth, a family that has many grandparents and and fathers in the faith that are willing and wanting to invest in you if you'll just but allow them to. We'd ask that you make that decision tonight that you put the Lord on in baptism, but maybe you already are a Christian and maybe you haven't been doing enough to invest in those that are younger, now's the time. Talk about New Year's resolutions all you want. Resolve in your mind that I'm going to find someone and that's gonna be the one I'm going to do my best to, to engage with and to invest in and help to influence for the cause of their soul. If there's anything that we can do for you tonight, we ask that you come as we stand and as we sing. The scripture reading this evening is 